you have an athletic guy that can move around as much as he can, and then his arm strength has been something that I've never been been around before. Where we hit like the pass we hit against Tennessee, where he throws it, you know, fifty plus yards in the air, and the guy never breaks stride. You know, I mean, those are he has some rare qualities that you can't find in a lot of guys. You know, physically, and the the more that he keeps playing, he keeps learning game to game, and that's something to me that puts him in a position where. Where's our ceiling at? I don't think we're close to it. I think we just keep getting better, keep finding ways to maximize all his his skill set because it becomes a problem for the defense. It's hard to defend him when you don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to be zone read? Is he going to sprint out? Is he going to run a naked? Is he going to go play action? Is it drop back? Are we running the ball? There's a lot of things they got to defend. Hello, Miami Dolphin fans. Welcome to the same old Dolphin show, now part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. It is a week where all Miami Dolphin fans come together despite their differences and put those differences behind them. It's been a frustrating season. A lot of people have been at each other's throats for one reason or another because they're all blaming one person or the other person or this group of person, this group of people or another group of people for what has happened over the past four weeks as the Dolphins have dropped to four and four. But at the end of the day, it is now that time where the Dolphins fans put all of that behind them. They let bygones be bygones and they unite together in their common hatred of the disgusting New York Jets. That's right, it's Jets Week once again, and the Brain and I are going to give our preview of the Dolphins' upcoming home game against the New York Jets. But before we do that, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about sort of the big news of the week in Miami Dolphin land, and probably the biggest item was what you heard at the very beginning of the show today, which was a clip of Adam Gase talking during his press conference the other day, where he sort of got a little testy with some beat writers. He got a little testy with Joe Shad. He got a little really testy with Armando Salguero. And and let me tell you, I'm not Armando Salguero's biggest fan. I think he and Omar Kelly are probably the two most insufferable Miami Dolphins beat writers. So part of me was like, yeah, you lay into those guys, Adam Gase. Give it to Salguero. He deserves it. But the problem was he was sort of going all in with Ryan Tannehill, and and he made it very clear that he is riding or dying with Ryan Tannehill. And uh, at, you know, if you ask me at this point, as I as I tweeted out, if Adam Gase is gonna ride or die with Ryan Tannehill, I'll just be standing by, ready to read the last rights to everybody, because I just don't know how much success the Dolphins are gonna have with Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback, and I just. Adam Gase, and you heard him say it in the clip, he says, "Where? how high is our ceiling? Where is our ceiling at? We're not there yet in, in terms of Ryan Tannehill. And I I don't know that I agree with that. Obviously, Adam Gase has uh, a lot more access to the day in and day out of Ryan Tannehill. He's much more attuned to what he is seeing every day from Ryan Tannehill. But the overwhelming evidence suggests to me that Ryan Tannehill is what Ryan Tannehill is going to be, and we're not going to see a whole lot different from that. But nevertheless, Adam Gase went all in on it, and it's got people alarmed because 
it really, while it makes perfect sense for an NFL head coach to go and support who he believes is his starting quarterback, and we said it on this show as soon as Tannehill went down, we said when Tannehill is healthy and ready to play again, he's the starting quarterback, and it doesn't matter how well Brock Osweiler has been playing Tannehill's getting his job back because he's Adam Gase's guy. And so it makes perfect sense for Adam Gase to support his quarterback like that in in the moment during the season. And as far as the 2018 Miami Dolphins season is concerned, I'm totally fine with that because I, you know, frankly, I don't see this team going particularly far and they're obviously not bringing in another quarterback this season. But as we've talked about before, Ryan Tannehill is a $26 million cap hit next year. And I just don't know how this organization justifies paying him $26 million next season. If, if when he comes back from his injury, he is producing at the exact same level that we've been seeing. If he comes back and he leads the Dolphins, like I, I, at this point, it sounds like Tannehill's not coming back till after the bye week. Um, and so if yeah, he comes, maybe not even then, and maybe not even then, right? There's some possibility that he doesn't come back at all this season. That's certainly not something that has been ruled out yet, right? Well, yeah, they actually the latest there is uh, from the Five Reasons Sports Network. Uh, the guys over there have have had kind of the inside story on this since the get-go. And the latest is that Ryan Tannehill can't throw. It hasn't been cleared to throw more than longer than seven yards. And he is not getting any strength back in his arm. So, I mean, this sounds like it's heading towards surgery and him ending up on IR. If it's been... I mean, he he basically hasn't thrown now for two weeks, and now he can throw seven yards. I mean, and he's not really making any progress. It, it sounds to me like, I mean, th- what miracle is going to happen here in the next week that's all of a sudden going to allow him? I mean, he's probably not going to play in the Green Bay game, but what miracle is going to happen between then and the bye week that's really going to just have him throwing at full strength because from what we've seen from Brock Osweiler, while he might not be as good as Ryan Tannehill, the drop off isn't immense. You would think that if Ryan Tannehill isn't a hundred percent, he's not playing. And so it, it looks to me like it's heading towards Tannehill being on IR and not playing the rest of the year. Right. And so that adds a whole other element into the conversation. So I was going to say, unless he comes back and plays the final six games of the season, leads the Dolphins to six victories with six incredible dominant performances, I don't see any reason why this team should bring him back because his performance doesn't justify paying him $26 million next year um, when you could cut him loose for and yeah you've got 13 million dollars in dead money but then you've got that difference of 13 million dollars that you could bring somebody in as a one year stopgap uh to 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 sort of take in to take the spot of your lead quarterback position until you have found whoever your future is um that just seems to be the better option because i mean even if you even if you let Tannehill go, $13 million in dead money. You brought in a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, who, whatever, you you may have thoughts about whether or not he or Ryan Tannehill, there's a significant difference there. We can have that argument at some other time. But the point is, if you bring that quarterback in, you could pay that quarterback $13 million for one year. It's the, 20, it's the same $26 million, but then the following year, there's no dead money. 
So you could argue that the Dolphins are better off just eating the 13 million and bringing somebody else in for the course of the year to be the stopgap until you find your next quarterback anyway. But that, you know, like I said, that was if Tannehill doesn't come back and have six dominant performances. If Tannehill doesn't come back at all, you're looking at a guy who's played five games in two seasons. And is that somebody you're willing to pay $26 million to next year? It, that, that puts, it, that, that puts even more doubt in my mind. It's not about the $26 million though. I mean, if it was, if it was just about $26 million, we know that he's not worth $26 million. He could, there's nothing that Ryan Tannehill can do. He could come back and he's still and, and play the best he's ever played and he's still not worth $26 million because $26 million, that's, that's the kind of money that you're giving to a top 10 quarterback. He's never going to be that. So he's not worth that. But that's not what it's about. It's that $13 million in dead cap space that if you cut this guy, you're you're still paying $13 million and then – what are you paying the, the other $13 million for? I mean, to me, unless – because you know Osweiler is is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And if he plays well the rest of the year and he's going to come back as the starter, any quarterback that you sign is going to have that leverage, especially if it's a one-year deal, um, where their agent is going to say, look, you're bringing this guy in to be the starter – you got to pay him at least $13 million. And so then you start, well, if you're paying him $13 million and the goal next year is to be a playoff team, then you've got to go with whoever the best, better quarterback is, whoever knows the system, whoever is the more talented player, whoever you feel most comfortable and counting on. And, you know, you know, maybe, you know, a Ryan Fitzpatrick is out there and you feel Fitzpatrick is better than, than Ryan Tannehill and you can get Fitzpatrick at $13 million. Okay. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not the case. If you're talking about a Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater hasn't thrown an NFL pass, a pass in an NFL regular season game in what? Three, four seasons. So you know, if you're bringing in him to be the starter, how much are you paying him? I mean, you're going to bring in Sam Bradford, who's clearly, you know, over the hill and and nothing. Um, or do you stick with a guy that, granted, he's he's never going to be anything special, but you've at least you've shown that you can win games. He knows the system. He has a rapport with the head coach, and and you've shown that when he's healthy, you can win games with him. I get it. I, that that's where I get it. Uh, and I expect that he will be back next year. Now, I think that if he's back next year, um, you need to have somebody else viable to come in, whether it's another veteran that you bring in as a backup. So maybe it maybe a Teddy Bridgewater, you know, not a guy that you're going to pay 13 million because let's face it, nobody is really banging down Teddy Bridgewater's door to be a starting quarterback, but maybe you could bring in Teddy Bridgewater at like, you know, a couple million dollars to be your backup quarterback and, and have competition there. And if Bridgewater ends up, you know, reverting back to the form that made him a, a first round pick uh, a few years ago, then maybe there's something there. 
I don't, I'm not a big fan of, of Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not really a big fan of any of these guys. I think if you're just thinking, if you're not thinking that you're going to draft a starting quarterback and you're going to get your franchise quarterback in this next draft, at that point, I'd rather just eat the $13 million and just just do it another year with, with Tannehill. And if if Steven Ross has already given Adam Gase you know, the, the security that he's going to be back for another year, then let Adam Gase, he's clearly all in on Ryan Tannehill, let him live and die with his guy. And, uh, you know, if Tannehill proves us all wrong and ends up being a very good quarterback and the Dolphins end up making the playoffs, then Adam Gase looks like a genius and Ryan Tannehill looks like a really good quarterback and the egg is on our face, but the egg is on our face with us being a playoff team and with us moving in the right direction as a franchise. And if all goes as expected and the Dolphins go seven and nine or eight and eight with, and Ryan Tannehill is his usual mediocre self, then Adam Gase looks like an idiot. Ryan Tannehill looks like a mediocre quarterback. He's only got $5 million in dead cap space. The following year makes it, making him very easy to cut ties with. And then you just, you rid him, you're rid of him. Now, the only argument that I can make for, for cutting him next year and saying, well, let's bring in a guy like Bridgewater or something else or, or some other guy up to scrap heap or, you know, potentially like giving a guy like Luke Falk because, Hey, look, we're keeping four guys on the, on the roster for, on the, on the depth chart for some reason. So if, if that's what we're the, – the only reason that we'd be doing that is because we think that there's some potential there. Why we think there's some potential there and he can't even beat out David Fales, who clearly isn't good enough to be a starting quarterback, is beyond me. But maybe that's the case. And then worst-case scenario, Luke Falk or David Fales or whoever they put in there on the cheap falls flat on their face and we end up tanking. Well, that just makes it easier to draft a quarterback the following year. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, we've, this debate can go on forever. It has been going on forever about what the Dolphins need to do with Ryan Tannehill. The, the fact is we, we've got confirmation that Adam Gase is completely all in on Ryan Tannehill. So the situation is going to be what it's going to be. In the meantime, Brock Osweiler is the starting quarterback for your Miami Dolphins as they head into a big week nine matchup at home against the disgusting, awful, putrid very bad New York Jets. But before we can even get to that, we still have more news because the Dolphins, and this is will come as a surprise to nobody, have placed two more players on injured reserve, ending their seasons. Uh, earlier this week, it was Vincent Taylor who went down with an injury and is now out for the season. And uh, as we record this on Friday evening, Cordrea Tankersley today did his ACL in practice, and he is now out for the season as well. However, all is not doom and gloom. The Dolphins have activated Jake Brendel and Mike Hull to the active roster from IR. So special teams gets a boost with Mike Hull and Brendel uh, gives us a, a little bit more depth on the offensive line. The Dolphins have also gone out this week and signed Ziggy Hood to help uh, at defensive end. And they also signed Sylvester Williams uh, to help out with that depth on the defensive line as well. The idea being there that hopefully the Dolphins can finally uh, stuff 
the run as they move forward. So hopefully those two big signings on the defensive, I don't know that the big signings, but those two signings on the defensive side of the ball can help the Dolphins as they go in to this game against the New York Jets. And I think that actually is a really good segue into this preview of the Jets game, Bryn, that I think that um, it's going to be a key is figuring out a way to stop Isaiah Crowell and Elijah McGuire the running backs for the Jets. The Dolphins get a little boost, but the fact that Bilal Powell is is hurt and not going to be playing. But Isaiah Crowell has been a little bit of a feast or famine guy for the Jets. And based on what the Dolphins' defense has offered the past couple of weeks, it would seem like a really good opportunity for Mr. Crowell to feast a little bit. But um, So the Dolphins have an opportunity to stuff the run now with a little bit of depth of a couple big guys to add to the defensive line. Uh, but they're also going to be dealing with Sam Darnold, who has a weakened receiving core, but apparently there were positive signs for the Jets from practice this week as both Quincy Onunwa and Robbie Anderson were, were practicing again. And if those two guys can go, Robbie Anderson in particular, if he can go, that is going to be some seems to spell trouble for this Dolphins secondary that was leaving guys wide open all over the place. So, Brain, break this down a little bit more specifically for us. What is this Dolphins defense going to need to do in order to succeed against the Jets' offense? Well, the last time they played, the Dolphins' defensive line really dominated the day. And they they really, uh, they didn't just stop the run, but they got after Sam Darnold. I believe they had four sacks in that game. They they pressured him a lot, uh, pressured him to making some mistakes, and that's something that Sam Darnold, as a rookie, uh, is still doing quite a bit. He's still turning the ball over, and he's not completing a high percentage of his balls, but he has shown the ability to throw the ball downfield um, with some success and, and has made some big plays. Now, his big play guy has been Robbie Anderson, and Robbie Anderson beat the Dolphins on one of those big plays uh, earlier in this season when they when the two teams matched up. So if Robbie Anderson isn't playing, and Bilal Powell isn't playing, and Bilal Powell, I mean, Bilal Powell obviously isn't playing. He's on IR and out for the year. But Bilal Powell, probably the biggest matchup problem for the Dolphins, and Robbie Anderson's probably the second biggest matchup problem. Um, that there's really not a lot there for the, especially if a Nunwa doesn't play, you just got to focus on as Isaiah Carell and you just got to stop him. And it looks like with these signings, uh, that the dolphins made this week that they are just going to put four, 300 pound guys on the defensive line. And they're just going to concentrate on stopping the run. And if they do that, I think it's going to be hard for the Jets to beat them, um, at least with their offense. Uh, I think this is this is a matchup that bodes well. I mean, the Dolphins get them at home. The Dolphins are getting a little bit healthier. Granted, they did lose Vincent Taylor, and Vincent Taylor has been one of their their bright spots on that defense, which has not had that many bright spots um, this year. But uh, it just... It seems like things are lining up for the Dolphins defense to have a bounce back performance against a, a Jets team that 
isn't that great offensively and is dealing with some pretty serious injury concerns of their own. What about when the Dolphins have the ball? Obviously, we've seen moderate success, I guess you could say. They've looked okay on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, what about this Jets defense? What do we need to know about the defensive unit for the New York Jets? It's it's a pretty average defensive unit. Um, there's some talent at the safety position, but it's not a it's not a dominant defensive line by any stretch. Uh, it's it's not really that great of a linebacking core. The Dolphins were able to run the ball pretty successfully uh, the last time they played. It was kind of. Not not necessarily like a dominant rushing performance, but but Kenyon Drake, you know, ha- had some had some success running. Frank Gore a little bit of success running, and actually Ryan Tannehill, uh, I think was maybe their their most consistent or had a couple of their biggest runs in that game. Um, but it's it's just it's a very average Jets defense. The Dolphins and the Jets are two of the five worst teams in sack percentage coming into this game. I think the Dolphins are like third, second or third worst in the league, and the Jets are like the fifth worst in the league when it comes to getting after the quarterback. So I don't foresee this being a game where Brock Osweiler is under a lot of duress. Um, and that's big because Brock Osweiler didn't have a very good game in the in the last one. Um Granted, the the offense put up some points, but Osweiler looked really bad on a few on a few of those throws, and it just I think if you're consistently in a situation where you're down two scores in the second half of the game and you're putting the game in Brock on Brock Osweiler's shoulders, you're going to get that where you're going to get some throws that just remind you that Brock Osweiler is not a franchise quarterback and that he is indeed a backup quarterback. Um, But I think this is going to be a close game. And if Brock Osweiler can just do what he's done the last few weeks and put up over 20 points, I think that's probably good enough for the Dolphins to win this one. Yeah, I think this is one of those games where we're really going to find out a lot about what this team's identity is going forward you can you can say I'm not not saying that you want to make excuses about the way that that defense has looked in the past several games I mean they look terrible against Houston they look terrible against Detroit they look terrible in the second half against Chicago they look terrible in the second half well they they looked bad in the second half against Cincinnati and they of course looked awful in that entire New England game but you could make the argument that all of those teams are with the I mean the Bears and Lions are going to be in the playoff conversation in the NFC but those other teams that the Dolphins lost to New England and Houston definitely looking at playoff spots Cincinnati is right there in that playoff conversation as well so these are these are Teams that are at least on the probably on the green side of average, uh, at at the very least, 
Um, but the Jets are definitely a team that is on the other side of average. The Jets are not a good team. And if the Jets can expose the Dolphins' defense the same way these other teams have over the past several weeks, then it's really going to be an alarming situation. This is a chance for the Dolphins, I think, to regain their footing a little bit. Uh, you know, you got to take advantage of these kinds of games. If you're, if you're a team that has any kind of desire to to make the playoffs and let's face it the dolphins i think have been at 4 and 4 in each of like the last 4 or 5 seasons or something like that 4 and 4 is a spot that the dolphins are pretty familiar with and we've seen the dolphins go from 4 and 4 to a place where they make the playoffs like they did in 2016 and we've also seen them go from 4 and 4 and end up in a familiar place like 7 and 9 6 and 10 and if you're if this team has any hope of making a run towards the playoffs, which let's face it, the way that this team behaved at the trade deadline, not making any significant moves. Devontae Parker is still on the team. Cam Wake is still on the team. Uh, they didn't, they didn't sell off. They weren't sellers. Then that tells you that the coaching staff really believes that this team is still in position to make some kind of run this season. So if that's what you're hoping for, then this is a game that you absolutely have to win. And from a fan perspective, this is a game you absolutely have to win because we cannot lose to the New York Jets because there are very few people more irritating in the world than New York Jets fans. Maybe the only exception for that is like a Boston sports fan because Boston sports fans are completely insufferable. Because they're like, look at all of the success. Like that little, that little shit that was at the Boston parade that he said he's 16 years old. He's been to 11 parades. Good for you, kid. Good for you. I can't wait for you to have to deal with the kind of mediocrity that the, that the fans in your area have had to deal with for a long time in their lives. They earned the success. They sat through a lot of crap to get to the success that the the Celtics and and the Patriots are having right now. Granted, they had a lot of success with the Patriots and Bruins in the 80s as well, but whatever. They had to watch a lot of bad Red Sox baseball and bad Patriots football for a long time. You just came along at the right time to to be born into success. Think about a 16-year-old Miami Dolphin fan. That kid's having a rough go. That kid's Been having there. That kid's having a rough go of it. Yeah, and now you're a 30-something Miami Dolphin fan, and you're still having a rough go of it. I don't know what's worse. Where I was at 16, where I felt like every year we had a chance and then was disappointed, or where I'm at now where I'm just jaded and I know going in that it's just it's going to be the same. It's a bad situation. Either way, the point here is, fuck Boston sports fans. And fuck the Jets. Fuck the Jets. Fuck them. Fuck the Jets. We're going to play the song at the end. We're not going to do the normal uh, outro song today. We're not, we're not, no bad Bruno today. Today, we're going to play the fuck the Jets song as our outro because, oh, God, I hate the Jets. We got to win this game, Brain. Dolphins got to win this win this game. Brock Osweiler's got to throw for 450 yards. Well, does he need to, does he have to do that for us to beat the Jets? No, he doesn't really. I mean, it would be that's much a really easier. Ba- that's a really bad sign for our defense if he's got to do that. 
Yeah. Well, I just want everybody to know that I'm doing my part for the Dolphins by starting Isaiah Crowell in a fantasy league. So I'm doing my part because, you know, typically speaking, if you're starting on my fantasy team, you're about to lay an enormous goose egg. But brain, it's time to make some predictions here. So let's, let's go out on a limb and make your prediction. What is going to happen as your Miami Dolphins host the New York Jets this Sunday? Look, I think that the Dolphins are in a backs to their wall kind of situation. I think they're approaching this as a must win. Uh, I think the Jets have some major injury uh, problems on their offensive side. Just, I mean, you're, you're really, you're looking at three of their top four offensive weapons that are going to be out for this game. It looks like, and you got a rookie quarterback. The dolphins got to get after him. Uh, I, I expect that the defense is going to play better in this matchup. I am intrigued to see if we, I am intrigued to see, uh, if we're going to see, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick play a little bit of safety in this game. Um, one of the things that has been talked about uh, over the past week has been how in that game against Houston last week, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick was routinely off the field because Houston knew that if they go into their base defense and or if they force the Dolphins to go into their base defense, that Minkoff would come off the field because he typically plays in the slot. And then they consistently picked on uh, Bobby McCain. And we saw the Dolphins uh, basically release Maurice Smith, who was one of their backup safeties. They He wasn't picked up any, by anybody, and they were able to put him back on their practice squad. But the move to do that kind of makes you think, well, maybe that means that Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be used a little bit more in that safety role as either a free safety or a strong safety. And, uh, you know, I, I am curious to see if that happens in this game. I don't know that it necessarily makes a difference uh, in this in this particular matchup because I think the Dolphins can defend the Jets' banged-up offense either way. Uh, but I, I do think the Dolphins' defense plays better in this one. I think offensively, uh, it'll be interesting to see, one, can we run the ball? And two, probably even more so, can we get a second game in a row of quality football from Devontae Parker? It looks like Kenny Stills is going to play this week. Um, so that you, that would lead you to believe that Kenny Stills is probably the number one, but Kenny Stills has been practicing on a limited basis all week, which makes you think that maybe Devontae Parker is still going to be the featured guy. Um, so I look for Devontae Parker to have another quality game and for the Dolphins receiving core in general to look probably as good as it's looked um, in a few weeks, maybe since the beginning of the season, if you've got a healthy, productive Devonte Parker, I mean, that that might actually be the best this receiving core has been all year. Because I, I would say that as great as Albert Wilson was playing before he got hurt, Devonte Parker has significantly more upside if we can get what we got out of him last week. So all that said, I think this is a good matchup for the Dolphins. I do think that. 
the Jets will find a way to make it interesting, or I should say the Dolphins will find a way to make it interesting. But I think it's going to be a boring game, probably a low-scoring game. I've got the Dolphins winning it 22-13. to 13. Very good. Uh, well, you sort of addressed a question that we got from Austin Dobbins at Austin D. 13-16. He asked, will Devontae Parker be as productive as last week? I think it's certainly a possibility. And I think if he is, that's probably a really good thing for the Dolphins, just as you said. Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say he's going to be more productive because I'm saying he's getting into the end zone. And he's not just getting in the end zone once. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Devontae Parker is scoring three touchdowns on Sunday. And the Miami Dolphins again? The Miami Dolphins are going to rout the New York Jets on Sunday. This is going to be a big bounce back game. Uh it's it's not a it's going to be a statement game. It's going to be the Dolphins laying down <laughs> a statement of intent against the this lowly New York Jets. This is where we're at. This that is our it's happening. That our statement game is against one of the worst teams in the league. Well, and listen, the statement might not, might not be a statement about the playoffs, but is it? A, it is a statement that the New York Jets are not on our level, and the Miami Dolphins are going to defeat the New York Jets by a score of thirty-eight to three, and it's going to be a come-from-behind victory. <laughs> three touchdowns, three touchdowns from Devontae. We're going Parker. down three nothing, and then scoring thirty-eight unanswered. Oh yes, oh yes, get hyped. It's happening. It's happening this Sunday, and it's going to be great. You know why it's going to be great? Because it's happening against the Jets. I hate the Jets. Fuck the Jets. Oh. Um, I have another one hot take that I'm going to share with everybody. This is from at Big Def Energy. And don't forget, you can always tweet at us, at Sam Old Dolphins. Every week, we ask for your one hot take ahead of uh, that week's matchup. And this tweet is from Big Death Energy. He says, now that Gase has come out in full support of Tannehill, their futures are now intertwined in a way that they weren't quite before. When 17 gets the axe, expect Gase to follow suit shortly thereafter, even if it takes an extra season. I think that's accurate. You, you said that. that I, I, I think that's exactly right. And then he, he follows it up with a question. Are you ready for this question? Sure. A little bit of a little bit of an outside the box question. Hope you're ready for it. it says uh, which national championship member of the UCF Glimmering Gilded Golden Knights will be the best fit on the Dolphins in 2019? You asking me? Yeah, yeah, I'm asking you. What member of the Golden Knights? Well, I, I should say they're just the Knights now. They're not the Golden Knights anymore. So. Uh, so I mean, big deaf energy. You got to. I, I no, who? I don't know. I I don't watch UCF. They're the national champions. I don't watch that fraudulent program. Whoa! Wow! Coming with haymakers at UCF. They're the national champions. For God's sake, show a little respect. It says them. No, they are officially recognized as national champions because By one who? of the major selectors chose the. Uh, had UCF as his national champion, therefore they are an they are officially recognized in the NCAA record book as a national champion in 2018. In the words of John Oliver, cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. 
national champions. I don't want to get into the whole playoff debate because I've got opinions about it. And clearly, I listen. Oh, oh, we're not going to get into it now. See, now you did. <laughs> see, now you got me started, and now I'm, and now I'm going to go. We're going to do, do a little rant. We're towards. Do we have to. We're at the end of the show. We're we're pretty much done. I, we're gonna. I'm going to throw this in here because the people need to hear it because it's important, right? Here's the thing. I am not going to sit here and tell you that the 2018 UCF Golden Knights or UCF Knights, excuse me, pardon me. I'm not going to tell you that UCF deserves necessarily to be in the playoff this year. You know, especially if if Notre Dame, Clemson, and Alabama all end their regular season undefeated, it's going to be hard for me to say that UCF deserves to go in there in that in that last spot. But the point that's not the point. The point isn't about whether or not UCF deserves to be in the national championship this year, to be in the playoff. The point is, in college football, it is completely absurd that in, in the FBS Division I college football, that literally half the teams are ineligible to win a national championship before the season even starts because of the conference they're in. It's, it's not right. It's ridiculous. It's not fair. I don't think that that's true. It's completely true. It is completely true. true because every argument that you say, strength of schedule. Well, UCF scheduled North Carolina this year. They had, they had scheduled them years in advance. They scheduled Pittsburgh years in advance. Wasn't UCF's fault that the North Carolina game got canceled by a, a hurricane? It's not UCF's fault that Pittsburgh was terrible this year. Meanwhile, by the way, UCF stomped Pittsburgh this year and Notre Dame barely beat them at home, mind you. But anyway, I digress. The, the point being is that you look at those teams from, from the group of five and basically every argument for those schools it, it, to, to be included in the conversation and the other, and the fact that you have representatives only from the power five conferences choosing who gets into the playoff, those schools are ineligible. They are ineligible at the start of the season to be considered. You look at UCF's schedule in 2018, you looked at their schedule, and you go, if they win every single one of those games, they're still not getting into the playoff. Well, so, I w- I, what I would say is, because you brought up Notre Dame's schedule, and you said, oh, well, they squeaked by Pitt. Fine. And and you you smashed Pitt. Okay. Notre Dame also played Michigan. Beat them. Well, but that, num- but you can't. Number you seven can't no, wait. You can't make that argument though. You, Virginia Tech beat them. Also has a game against a, t- a currently top twenty team, Syracuse. Now, uh, what I'm saying is, I'm saying what like like Notre Dame plays an extremely difficult schedule. So when Notre Dame squeaks by an inferior opponent, as long as they win, and then you look at it and you say, well. They had all these other games like they beat Michigan and they beat Stanford by three touchdowns and they beat Virginia Tech by three touchdowns. Then you look at that and you say, hey, that that's pretty impressive. Now, UCF, are they behind the eight ball because of their schedule? Yes. Is it entirely their fault? No, but it's partially their fault because UCF fans will tell you this whole BS thing about how teams don't want to play UCF. That's not BS. That's true. No, 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 no. Let me finish. Let me finish. 
what UCF does is they refuse to go to sign a contract with these teams unless it's a one-and-one deal. These teams do not want to play one-and-one, one home game, one road game. UCF has such a high, you know, expectation of themselves or thinks of themselves so highly that they refuse. Now, if UCF really wanted, if, if the most important thing was getting these guys on the schedule, they would go and they'd play a road game against, against a quality, against quality opponents and multiple quality opponents, but they are stubborn. Now, regardless of that, regardless of that, because that's besides the point, I, that's, that's just a sidebar. It doesn't really have any bearing on the 2018 argument. Their schedule as is put them behind the eight ball. Does that mean make them disqualified? No, but it means you've got to be extremely impressive every single week and you can leave no doubt what they did last year by winning that game against Auburn in the, what is it? The sugar bowl or whatever. The, the bowl game that it was they played the peach bowl. It was the, the peach, peach bowl. bowl, whatever. By by winning that game against Auburn, they gave themselves validity and they convinced one ridiculous selector that they were the national champions. Beautiful. Great. Good for them. It, I don't buy it, but whatever. Cool. You've got this whole schedule of garbage. You, you can't struggle and beat Memphis by one point. You can't. You can't give up 700 yards of offense to Temple and be fighting tooth and nail to to win that game. You can if you've got other games on your schedule that can make up for it where you beat ranked teams. But if, if if your most difficult games on your schedule are against unranked teams and you're having to fight tooth and nail to win them, then I'm sorry. Like, but here's the thing. That doesn't that's, make you disqualified. That, that just means you haven't taken care of your business. You haven't really done everything that you can do. Here's the to, flaw in to, that to, argument. Here's right. the flaw in your argument. UCF could have beaten every team that they played this year by four touchdowns. They could have crushed Memphis on the road. They could have crushed Temple at home this week. They could have done that. If that had been the case, there would be some other excuse as to why they're not able to go into the playoff and you listen to the, you listen you listen to the things that these people say that run the playoff they basically tell you that these G5 schools don't deserve a shot they base they say it they say it literally the, the announcers on the game they're saying it they don't deserve the shot and it doesn't matter what they did if UCF went out there and beat every team 63 nothing it would be the same argument. Well, they did it again. They did it I against disagree. Temple. They did no, it against Memphis. They did it against Cincinnati or Houston. Even though Cincinnati and a potentially a matchup against Houston down the road, those teams are going to probably be ranked teams. Even if UCF beats them, it's, it's, they did it against Cincinnati. They did it against Houston. They didn't do it against a powerhouse you like gotta, Ole Miss. You got to be dominant because, because you know what, what would happen is they'll look at, They'll look at Alabama's matchups against good teams. They'll look at Clemson's matchups against good teams. And they'll look at they'll look at Notre Dame's matchups against good teams. And they'll say, you know, what would Notre Dame or Alabama or Clemson do against Cincinnati? Or what would they have done against Memphis or against and 
granted, there's going to be some subjectivity to that because we don't see it on the field. And that's the problem. That's the problem right there. There's subjectivity to it. Subjectivity should never enter into be. it. it there should, no, many, no, but, no, 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 how, how no, do it no, there's no, subjectivity. no, there should how be no subjectivity, no subjectivity into it at all. Every division, every conference should have a conference champion that has an opportunity to play for the national championship. And you can't tell me that they can't do that because FCS is a 24-team playoff. So you take the winner of every conference, you put them in the playoff, and then you have however many out-large teams as you need to fill out the bracket and to make it acceptable. I don't care. You can give your top-ranked teams buys in that. But the fact of the matter is every single team needs to know that when they come into the season— that they have a shot to play for the national championship. And every team doesn't have that. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me that if UCF had gone out there and beat won every game 63-0 this year, that they would be in the national that, that they would be I in the playoffs. Maybe they maybe they would have the shot, but it shouldn't be dependent on how things fall in front of them. It's the only it's the only sport in, in, in college athletics where that is the case is FBS football, where you don't, like other teams in like college basketball, for example, it's a slim shot and, but, and it is what it is that you could get in as a 16 seed. But if you're playing in the, I don't know, whatever the, uh, whatever conference College of Charleston is, College of Charleston knows at the beginning of the season that whatever they do doesn't matter. They've got to win that tournament. They've got to win that conference tournament and that's how they get their spot in. But that's what they have to do. They know that. In college football, UCF could go out there and win every single game and be undefeated. But if the winner of the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten... And the Pac-12 all also run the table. Guess which team is sitting on the outside looking in? And you can't tell me that's false. Because it's true every single time. So that means that UCF enters the season without a definite shot where they know that if they win every single game, they get to play for the national championship. Well, I don't. Well, how can you say that they didn't get a shot to play for the national championship last year, and they got to crown themselves national champs? What, so it you, seems like it's that, working out pretty well for them. Look at you. You know what I'm talking about. That's well, no, they're, wait, they're wait. crowned. Are they, they're beat. Are they national champs? The playoff. Yes, they're wait, absolutely wait, wait. national champs. Then, then they don't even need to worry about this. Very nice, very nice. But if I'm what I'm saying is that you're considering you consider UCF's national championship to be legitimate. So for in order for them no, to I, have illegitimate. That's what I'm saying. You're saying it's illegitimate. If UCF wants to have a legitimate national championship, if in the eyes of everybody, they need to have that opportunity to know that if they win every single game that they play, that they will be the legitimate quote unquote they legitimate. Care? They don't care what everybody champions. else thinks. They crown themselves. It's national not about champions. UCF they don't need to make the playoffs. Aaron, it's not about Aaron. It's not about UCF, and you know that. Now you're just being disingenuous. It's not about UCF. It's about Houston. It's about Boise State. It's about every single one of those little guy schools in the group of five that don't have that opportunity. Back to that Marshall debate from like three years. And I and I said that's how you know this isn't about UCF. It's about these (laughs) other schools deserve to play, have the opportunity, and that's what it's about. That's the problem in FBS college football. 
teams like UCF don't have the opportunity to play for the quote-unquote legitimate national championship because there's a group of five old white guys representing the Power Five conferences who are deciding who gets to play. And that, that is bullshit. Speaking of bullshit, the Dolphins are playing the Jets this week, and I'm really excited to watch the Dolphins go in there, go into Hard Rock Stadium and beat the living tar out of the New York Jets. It's going to be fantastic. In the meantime, Brain, tell the people where they can find you. I'm fired up. Clearly. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. And I'm on Twitter at Amplified to Rock. Also, the show is on Twitter at Same Old Dolphins. Do I do a lot of tweeting from that account, so hopefully you're following us. Uh, we picked up quite a few new followers this week. We we did the um, name your favorite obscure Miami Dolphin. Brain, we never did get your your actual pick on that. Who is your favorite all-time obscure Miami Dolphin? I made a prediction of who I thought you would say, but I just want to hear your answer. It's got to be, I mean, is he obscure enough? But it's got to be Rob Conrad. Exactly. I got to be the only exactly person right. ever with an authentic Rob Conrad jersey. That's absolutely it. I knew for a fact, I, I, I even tweeted that that would be your answer. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that confirmed here on the show. Honorable Fantastic. mention to Yatiel Green, though. Oh, Yatiel Green. Um, a lot of, you, one, you know, we got a lot of response to that tweet. One of the big popular names, Lusaka Polite. Lou. Love Lusaka Polite. Definite obscure Miami Dolphin legend. Um, don't forget the show is now part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. You can hear every episode of our show over on DolphinsTalk.com. It is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. So we hope that you will uh, visit the site every day as as uh, Mike over there does Dolphin Talk daily every day over there on the website. They've also got the Countdown to Kickoff show, the Landon and Jeff show, Perfectville, um, Fins up, fans down. A lot of good stuff over there, and also a lot of uh, columns as well. Anthony Saba, oh my goodness, the, the film breakdowns over there. It's great, great stuff. So make sure you're checking out DolphinsTalk.com every day for your latest Miami Dolphins content. We are on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. You can download, rate, review, and subscribe to every ep- to every show from the Samuel Dolphins show uh, over there. So we hope that you'll do that. Take the time to leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. We'd appreciate it very much. And of course, we are also on SoundCloud. You can follow us over there. We hope you will do that. Oh, and I didn't mention it, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Dolphins. Give us a like over there and come join the conversation. We will be back after the Jets game to recap and review everything that happens coming out of that, discuss all of the narratives. Will the Dolphins be on their way back onto an upward trajectory, or is the sky well and truly falling on this team? Whatever the case may be, we will be here to talk you through it and uh, and, and be there with you, whatever the emotion of the day might be. In the meantime, for Aaron the Brain, this is Amplified to Rock. This is Josh. We'll talk to you again next time. Take care of yourselves and each other. Fuck the Jets. Go Dolphins. Miami's got Dolphins, the greatest of all teams. We take the ball from Oh, fuck the Jets. Fuck the Jets. Fuck the fucking Jets. Fuck the Jets. Fuck the Jets. Fuck the fucking Jets. Fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the fucking Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets.
Fuck them. <laughs>